training and how to lead people to Christ and spending some time on a biblical mindset of being led by the Holy Spirit and guided by the Holy Spirit as we lead someone to Christ and the importance that it become just something that is natural to us and not something that is forced or something that we learn a lot of methods and how-tos on. Uh, we simply just want to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ as He becomes more and more important to us and as our relationship with Him grows dearer and dearer and we begin to love Him more and more, we just ought to want to tell people about Him. And so we've spent some time dealing with that. The last uh, Wednesday night when we were here, uh, we began to prepare some things uh, for some upcoming uh, additional training on how to lead specific people to the Lord. Uh, for instance, the first one we'll be dealing with is some tips and some things that we can do and uh, how to lead Catholics uh, to the Lord, to understand a little bit of where they're coming from and what they believe and uh, be able to use Scripture to be a help to them. Uh, to hopefully see the truth and with the convicting of the Holy Spirit and the use of God's Word uh, to help them come to a knowledge of the truth. And so pray for that. Brother Harold is going to be presenting that lesson, and he's been putting a lot of work into it. And Lord willing, we'll be ready by next Wednesday. If not, it'll be a couple Wednesdays, but shooting for next Wednesday, perhaps, uh, weather permitting, and uh, looking forward to that. And uh, tonight I want to just take a few moments to kind of regroup of a few things and go over a few things with you. Uh, regarding the importance of what we're doing here. It's, it's easy. We started off um, the year with get, giving the heart of soul winning and the importance, the urgency of uh, leading people to Christ and the fact that time is very, very near. And I firmly believe this, that if God would allow us to peer into hell for a few moments, it would absolutely change our lives with regards to soul winning. Uh, and uh, I want you to... Uh, understand not just how to lead a soul to Christ, but I want us to have, I want our church to have a heart for it. Uh, I want us to have a heart for the lost and to really understand that. Uh, let's look in Second uh, Timothy, uh, did I give you the reference yet? Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter number 2. And uh, we'll begin reading verse number 1. We're just going to read a couple verses. Paul says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Father, we pray that you'll bless uh, the message tonight in the time of teaching. I pray that you would use it in a very special way. And Lord, for the next few moments, I ask that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct our hearts and our thoughts. Lord, there's such a need, especially as we see time drawing near for your coming. And Lord, it may be another hundred years, it may be another thousand years, but Lord, every day we live, it seems like it's getting closer and closer and closer. And Lord, there are so many people as we pick up our papers and read the news, as we listen on the radio, as we walk around town, to see the, the carnality of this world that we live in the lack of desire for the things of the Lord, and the fact that there are so many around us every single day that are lost. I pray that you would help us to have our eyes opened, that we would be awakened to it, that we would arise and do the work that you've given us to do, that our hearts would be in tune with it. And Father, I pray that you would once again open our eyes and refresh our hearts and our minds in this thing of soul winning. I pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us daily, and that our hearts will be yielded to you to understand and to know 
both who we should talk to and how we should address them and how we should speak to them. And then, Father, may we see fruit for our labor, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, uh, in the 1800s, and we spent some time last week on church history, one of the great uh, great things that happened to the church as a whole, or, or doctrinally sound churches as a whole, uh, happened when uh, the King James Bible came into existence. It was amazing to me uh, the amount of revivals and people returning to sound doctrine that happened in history just from one event that we can point to, and that was the translation of the King James Bible into English for the common man. And then, uh, of course, to have the uh, printing press just shortly before that come into existence, and now you could mass-produce this wonderful book that we hold to that we believe is perfectly preserved and without error. We spent a little bit of time dealing with how we came up with this particular version of our Bible versus all of the other versions of the Bible and the corruptness that is in them. Uh, We just barely touched on that. Lord willing, we'll have some time in the future to deal with that in depth and show you the history of it and the lineage of it. Uh, Today, a lot of people don't understand it, and they think, well, any version will do. Uh, In fact, uh, and there's, there's an argument, they say, well, it's easier to understand some of these versions. Uh, I have read verses from other versions on occasion when someone would show me something and ask me something. And I'll tell you this, there are some times that perhaps the wording may be easier to understand, but you completely are confused by the time you get done reading the verse many times. And uh, so I don't know that it's any easier to understand. Uh, It's important for us to understand why these versions are inferior to our King James Bible. But when the King James Bible came on the scene... Uh, a lot of revivals began to take place. We saw them shake two continents for the Lord. We saw Europe uh, being shaken with uh, great revivals. Uh, We saw America in the Great Reformation period and the time period that took place. You have George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and D.L. Moody. And um, one of the uh, men that were involved in the, uh, the great revivals was a man by the name of Finney, Charles Finney. And uh, Charles Finney was uh, a preacher that came on the scene uh, as a young man and was ordained into the ministry. And the truth of the matter is, uh, he as a young man went into a meeting uh, where a man was praying by the name of Daniel Nash. And he was up and there's a large congregation of preachers there. And this Daniel Nash, he remembers meeting him for the very first time when he was just a few months into the ministry And he said, I did not notice anything remarkable of him. He said when he prayed, he prayed with his eyes open looking around, and he said, I wondered who he was talking to when he was praying. Well, what a commentary about prayer, that people would wonder who we would talk to if if they were to hear us praying, I wonder. And uh, God did a work in Daniel Nash's life several years later and caused him to have a problem with his eyes And he had to go into a darkened room for two weeks he had to spend uh, without seeing any light at all. People had to send food and slide it in under the door to him. And by his own testimony, he said in those two weeks, God revolutionized his prayer life. Uh, Daniel Nash Nash was a, a, uh, a man who was a pastor. I think if I remember right, he was a congregationalist pastor and really was unremarkable in the pulpit until that time. But when he came out of that room, he began to pray earnestly and fervently. He went to one of Charles Finney's revivals, and there wasn't a whole lot going on. And after the first night of the revival, he went 
and asked Brother Finney, he said, would you mind if I would travel before and get your schedule and go into the towns before your revivals take place and spend time praying before you ever get there? Brother Finney said, that will be fine. So Brother Nash began to travel with another man by the name of Abel Clary and another couple of young men that would sometimes go when Abel Clary was not available, and they would go into the towns usually three or four days, sometimes a week, before Charles Finney was to come to a town for revival services. And they would give themselves to prayer. And when I say that they would give themselves to prayer, it wasn't just spending an hour a day or two hours a day, but literally there are accounts of them spending 16 and 18 hours a day prostrate on the ground, praying and pleading with God to do a work in those revival services. They would agonize in prayer so greatly that there are times that men had to come into the room and help the two men to their feet because they were so physically weak from exhausting themselves in prayer and began to have great revivals in Charles Finney's revivals. In fact, he went into uh, New York and in Rochester, New York, spent four weeks there and 100,000 people came to know Christ as their Savior in four weeks what an amazing revival. In fact, it was uh, many people that have tried to track and understand the results of these revivals have gone back and looked at men like D.L. Moody and, uh, and Jonathan Edwards and some of these great men, Shubal Stearns, George Blarock, and some of these other great men of revivals and to find out what came of their converts. And about 15 to 18% of those that professed Christ in those revival services during those days would remain faithful and stay in the churches uh, that they were involved in after they got saved. With Charles Finney's, they had as much as 80%. And there are churches in existence today that are in existence for no other reason than the converts of Finney went and planted churches and pastored them faithfully with sound doctrine for many, many years. For several years, Daniel Nash did this. He would pray and ask God to to do a great work in those revival services. He would men sometimes come from his room when the revival service would start, and he would walk in the room, and he has been known to walk in and hear Brother Finney preaching or the singing going on before the service. And he's been known to walk in and say, he's not here yet, and then turn and walk and go back to his room to pray. And by that, he was meaning the Holy Spirit had not yet arrived in power on that service. And after several days or nights of meetings, he would again walk in, and finally he would say he's here. And that very moment, God would begin to work. And Charles Finney, by his own account, says, I've never known him to be mistaken. For on the very night or the very moment that Brother Nash knew that the Holy Spirit was there, the windows of heaven would open and God's power would fall on that service. For about seven years, Daniel Nash did this, and then Daniel Nash died and Charles Finney continued the revival trail for three months after Charles, uh, Daniel Nash died. And after three months, Charles Finney said, the revivals are over. And he took a pastorate in Oberlin. And I said all that to say this. When it comes to winning people to Christ, it is more than a process or a technique. There's got to be the power of God resting upon us. There's got to be a sensitivity to the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
If we don't do these things, then and all we're trying to do is to say, well, Brother Greg said to do this, and Brother Greg said to do that, and, and these are techniques we can use. If that's all we're relying on, then I will promise you this, we will be frustrated in serving God. And very little fruit will remain. As we've read tonight in 2 Timothy, Paul is challenging young Timothy, and he makes these statements. He says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to just take a moment, and we're going to look at four things here in these two verses tonight that I think are going to be important for you and I in going forward and learning material, because I don't want us to get in the mindset that as long as we learn material and processes and techniques and thoughts and and things that we can bring up, that that is what's going to do the work. Can I tell you this? The Lord is the one that gives the increase. The Bible says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. We can work and we can labor all we want to, and unless God is involved in the work, we cannot do a work. He said, without me, you can do how much? Nothing. Now, there's some things that Paul challenges Timothy with, and and we're going to take a look at these. Look with me first in verse number 1. He says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I was talking, and I've been talking with Brother Harold over several weeks and months of uh, some of this stuff that we're teaching on, and a few other people. I've talked to a pastor friend of mine out in Kansas about some stuff, and and we've been discussing this idea that uh, so many other religions, and, and I'm not saying Baptists are perfect by any stretch, But I will say this, so many other denominations, they try to take grace and add works to it. Uh, Understanding that if you add anything to grace, it's no longer grace. Because the very definition of grace is that it is unmerited. We're going to be talking about the Mormons. And and, uh, I love the Mormon brethren. I've been studying about them. And the more I study about them, the more brokenhearted I am for them. And one of the things that they hold to and that they believe in is that man can be saved by the grace of God only after they have done all that they can do. And when they add that to it, it is no longer grace. They're holding to the fact that that, that they can earn or by their merit God owes them their grace. And Paul is dealing here, and Paul deals quite a bit when he deals with Timothy and some of the other churches that he writes to about this thing of sound doctrine and the idea of being, of holding fast to these things. And he talks about those that will come in as false teachers and begin to preach another Christ. And those that will come in and will try to, to water down and refute the Bible and the Scriptures. Can I tell you this, and we've, we've, we've beat this horse until it's almost dead. The only source we have of our truth and our doctrine has to be the Word of God. And because of that, it's important that we have the right Word of God and a pure Word of God and a Word of God that is not corrupted and one that is preserved without error. That is important or our doctrine starts to erode and become corrupt. And so the first thing Paul tells Timothy is, he says, Timothy, I need you to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be steadfast in it, Timothy. Don't move. Don't waver in this thing. Don't begin to try to add stuff to it. And we saw last week that the Apostle Paul was already combating a lot of doctrinal error that was slipping into the church even in his day and time. 
And he tells Timothy, he says, young Timothy, you're getting ready to launch out and do this work and, or you're already involved in it in many cases. And he says, you've got to learn to be strong in some things. One of them that he challenges Timothy to be strong in because it is of paramount importance to the ministry is this thing of God's grace. God's grace is for every man and it is undeserved. It's unmerited. We don't deserve it. If we add anything to it, if we try to, I was I, Brother Harold sent me a video this week. Uh, was what was the name of that American Gospel, I think, or something like that? And in a little trailer, and I, I watched the little trailer, and it was amazing to me to see uh, the the direction that the church in America as a whole has gone. Uh, all these feel good, talk good preachers on television and have these large congregations and they tell you to live your best life and your best life now. Can I tell you this? God will give us blessings that we cannot almost contain in our lives. But, but you can rest assured that this health, wealth, and prosperity preaching that goes on today is nowhere near the Word of God. And these folks get up and they begin to, to talk about the fact that well, God understands, and, and you deserve, and you deserve, and you deserve. Can I tell you this tonight? We don't deserve anything. Well, you deserve your best life. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be healthy. Not in my Bible. My Bible says I deserve hell. That's what I deserve. Now, I'm grateful I don't get that, aren't you? That's the good news of the gospel. That's what's so exciting about telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they're already headed to hell. They don't have to do anything to go there. They were born in sinners. And, and, and these folks have to, they have to understand that they're already on their way there. We're coming to bring them hope and to bring them good news. That God has given His grace, His unmerited favor to every man. Paul says, Timothy, be strong in this. Don't waver. Don't let people erode your faith in God's grace. Now I want you to notice, he says secondly, as he deals with this in verse number 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We find three things in this verse, and I want to share them with you very quickly. The paramount thing that we must do is we must hold fast to the grace of God. Don't ever get works Mixed in with our grace. It's not there. Having held fast to our, the grace that God has given to us, then there's three things that Paul tells Timothy here. He says, The things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Now we're going to talk about committing these things to faithful men. And I, but before we do, I want us to look first of all at what we're committing. What is it that we are to take and to instill or commit to other men and, and that are faithful men and faithful women. What is it that we're to take and pass on to the next generation? Well, the things Paul refers to here are the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. Paul oftentimes talks about this as sound doctrine. In the book of Galatians chapter number 1, he speaks, Though we are an angel from heaven, speak any other thing than that which we have spoken. Let him be accursed. And he's dealing here with the fact that it was of God, the things that he had been speaking. It's very, very important that we don't speak of our ideas or our thoughts or our philosophies, but that we simply speak Christ. 
I listened to a fellow this week, and he said one of the great downfalls of our churches in America today is that we have left Christ out of our preaching. We preach about all the social ills of our society and how to overcome them, and Christ is nowhere to be found. What are we teaching? The central theme of this blessed book, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the paramount thing when we talk to people about the Bible. And I've talked to people before and I've had some of you even come and ask me and say, Well, Pastor, what do I do with an atheist? How do I deal with them? And my answer is always the same. Use Scripture. Use Scripture. The Bible says the Word of God is quick and what? Powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's something I can't do. I can't look around the room and see anybody's heart here tonight, not one. If I walk up to a lost person, I cannot see their heart. But this book can pierce all the way into it. This book can do its work. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's His sword. It's His book. And only by the power of this particular book that we hold in our hands, that we call the Bible, is God's work accomplished. I'm not saying that there are not logical reasons and arguments that can be made after the fact. But it better not be what we're relying on. What we hold to is that God's Word will do the work. And Paul's telling Timothy, he said, listen, I'm wanting you to commit some things to people, and what I want you to commit are the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. I want you to notice, secondly, who he's supposed to be telling it to and who he's supposed to be committing it to. He says, I want you to commit uh, these things in verse number 2. He said, the same commit thou to faithful men. The same commit thou to faithful men. What does he mean by faithful men? Men who will be strong in the grace that he spoke about in verse number 1. Oh, I believe that's part of it. Men that will hold fast to the form of sound doctrine. Yes, I believe that's part of it. And men that will be diligent to take what you've taken and shown them and take it and show someone else and commit it to them. I believe that's part of it. We're to go and reproduce ourselves. One of the things that I think is exciting about the whole idea of soul winning and telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ is we get an opportunity to win someone to Christ and then, and a lot of preachers never do the end then, do they? A lot of churches never do the end then. And then we get to take them and teach them the Bible. We get to teach them these things and and say, now listen, you can take these things and you can go do for someone else the same thing that I just did for you. The same commit thou to faithful men who are able to teach others also. What we're supposed to teach, who we're supposed to teach it to, and then what they're supposed to do with it after they get it. How many of you today, tonight, got saved and nobody showed you anything about the Bible? Anybody in here like that? You just picked it up one day, read it, and got saved? Any of you? How many of you... Somebody was influential in you understanding Scripture and the truth of Scripture and led you to Christ. All right? Good. Once we have what we've been shared, and it's been shared to a faithful person, you and I, then what are we supposed to do with it? Tell others. The same commit thou to faithful men who are able to teach 
others also. I like the fact that Paul uses the word teach here and not just tell, don't you? You know what that tells me? That tells me that I better know this book. If I'm going to get up and teach somebody something, I better know it. Have you ever, <laughs> Brother Harold, you're going to get a kick out of this one. Have you ever met somebody that tried to talk about something they didn't know a lot about? <laughs> they tried to sound smart. They tried to sound intelligent. I've been guilty of it. There's been times when, uh, that uh, I've come across somebody and I've known very little about a subject, but they brought it up. And I tried to talk intelligently with them about it. And I've, I've flopped many times doing that. But uh, the truth of the matter is, we need to, if we're going to teach somebody these things, we need to know them. We need to know them. That's why when we started the soul winning training, we gave a notebook and we gave some notes out. And, and we, we, don't, we didn't say this is a, a finished work. This is something we're putting in your hands and you can use. I envision it as something that's a growing and a, and a, a workbook and, a, and a, a source of resources that we continue to build on and grow on because we're ever learning. And as we study Scripture and we come across a passage and it, and it goes into our hearts and our minds, boy, that would be a great passage for somebody who's struggling in this area. Then we write it down and we put it in that notebook and we keep it as a resource and we say, boy, God, thank you for equipping me and giving me the tools to do your work, to be able to be well prepared. I, my daughter came home from school one time and she was in a math class and she said, Dad, the math teacher told me that he has to go home every night and learn the next day's lesson so he can teach us. That's not the kind of teacher we want. We want people in our churches that know God's Word. They know their doctrine. They know the principles of Scripture. They know the heart and the mind of God. And they are sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You say, Brother Greg, are you sure? Are you sure that's all that we need to do? Well, let's look down a little bit. He goes on to, to give Timothy some indication that when he's serving, there's going to be some persecution. In fact, in the very next verse, he starts talking, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier. And he starts going down through this thing, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him and have chosen him to be a soldier. He goes on down in verse number 6, And the husband then that laboreth, and he goes down, uh, must first be partaker of the fruits. And what a great verse that is. If we're going to labor in the field, we need to be partakers of the fruit ourselves. We need to be growing and deepening our walk with God and our, our time spent in this book and understanding it and learning it. He talks about the idea in verse number 9, wherein I suffer trouble. Uh, therefore, in verse number 10, I endure all things. Uh, verse number 11, this is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. And so he deals with the fact that there's going to come some hardships in service. But he begins in verse number 14 giving us a challenge. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What was Paul telling Timothy? 
He said, Timothy, you need to look, you need to know the scriptures. You need to walk close with God. You need to have the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. So that we're not ashamed when we stand before God one day. When I go out knocking on doors and trying to win somebody to Christ, I don't want them to ask me something that that I'm embarrassed because I don't know how to respond to it. Let me ask you a question tonight. How many of us believe that the Word of God has the answer to every problem in man's life? It's not a problem that man has that the Bible doesn't have an answer to. And yet there are times people come to us and say, I need some help in this area, and we are ill-equipped to help them. I know that we've got a lot of folks in here that are past their prime in memorizing. That's an easy way to say we're older. I've been there. I, I've been to the point where I used to be able to, to learn stuff like this. I mean, just it just I can still quote things I learned in high school. But you give me something to learn today, and boy, it's hard to memorize. Anybody else say it like that? It's hard, isn't it? You know what Paul's saying here? Endure the hardness. It's worth it. Study. Work. Study to show thyself approved. If you're a husbandman in the field, if you're laboring in the field, be a first partaker of the fruit. Let me ask you this. Is the value of one soul that we may have the opportunity to win to Christ, is it worth the work to study and know the Word of God? It's worth it. So I share all that to say this. Are we willing tonight to pay the cost? Are we willing to pay the cost to become workmen that need not to be ashamed? Are we willing to study? Are we willing to learn the Scriptures? To know them, to know our doctrine, to know the principles of Scripture, to know the plan of salvation in the Scriptures. To know and understand and be able to easily tell somebody of the grace of God. Do we know this? And if not, are we willing to pay the price to know it? Uh, I'll tell you this. uh, I started off the new year with just a handful of things that I was going to work on as far as preaching on in our church. And as we got into the soul winning training time, a whole thing opened up. It was like a a sweater unraveling, like a snowball rolling down a hill. I've had to get back into studying hours and hours a day. And I'm going to tell you, it's it's weary. It's wearisome. There's times I get done and my brain is tired. But I keep thinking it's worth it. If I get to win one Mormon to the Lord, if I get to win one Jehovah's Witness to the Lord and help them see the truth, I'm excited about hearing the lessons from Brother Harold. If I get to win one Catholic to the Lord, it'll be worth all the effort that was put into it. Amen? Is it worth it? Are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing to dedicate our hearts and our minds to learning Scripture? Paul says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the graces in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. If someone has shown you how to be saved, then you and I have an obligation to go and share the gospel with others. 
we have the same obligation that that person had to us to go and share it with someone else. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Do we know scriptures? Do we know the doctrines that we hold to? They're based on the Bible. We need to study and learn these things. Is it worth the cost? Is it worth the cost? I hope, I, I, I really hope, and I've been praying that God would, as we go through this soul winning time, that there would be a, a marked moment where God does a transforming work in our hearts and our lives. And the windows of heaven open and we begin to see uh, folks come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We begin to see fruit for our labor. I'm longing for the day that we begin to see folks coming into the church house saying, I got saved this week because one of the church members shared the gospel with me today, this week. Come forward and be baptized and us to take and, and start teaching and training them in the scriptures. I'm looking forward to those days. And they will come if we're willing to be led by the Holy Spirit and we're willing to put forth the effort to study, to learn, to know these things. Let's bow our heads in prayer, shall we? Father, we're thankful for your word. I pray that you'll bless it and use it. Lord, I've done my best tonight to try to bring across these points that I believe are important, to try to encourage us and motivate us, kind of reignite the fire, so to speak, as we launch into some further study. Lord, the weeks and months ahead, there's going to be a lot of information and a lot of things that we're going to need to try to learn and apply our hearts and our minds to. If we are to be well prepared, if we're to be well equipped to deal with people, I pray that you would give us the grace that is needed, the clarity of mind and thought that is needed, the leading of the Holy Spirit and His working in our hearts and our minds to help us to recall and to direct us as we talk to people, that He will go before us and prepare hearts, that He will empower and strengthen us for the work at hand. And then, Father, having all that in place, I pray that you would help us to see the fruit that you long to give those of lost souls that need to hear the gospel before it's too late. I pray that you would bless in this church and these people. Lord, thank you for their willingness to come out on a, a Wednesday night like this where it's so nasty and rainy just for the sake of learning on this idea of soul winning and leading people to Christ. I pray that you will bless their efforts tonight. Lord, use it in a very special way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Just keep in mind this week, if you would, uh, Miss Jean.